Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they're facing. I'm Damesh Patel from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and I help businesses connect with top tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Today, we're joined by Amy from Ovo Energy, Mark from Moonstar AI, Graham from Natterbox, Felix from Shersey, and JP from Sportslocker. During today's podcast, episode one of Bridge to Balance, we will discuss creating a dynamic, diverse development culture within hybrid remote working to build the best workplace harmony. We'll begin with a few introductions around the room. Uh, so if you just want to describe like briefly what you do with your current company um, and your current like team size within the organization as well, I think that'd be a good start. Um, do you want to kick us off, Amy? Yes. So, uh, hi, I'm Amy. So I'm the Director of Colleague Technology at Ovo Energy, uh, which is a provider of green energy to uh, many UK customers, millions of UK customers. What does Colleague Technology do? We look after everything from endpoints to enterprise platforms and applications, service desks, ITSM, security, finance and HR, you name it. We've probably got a finger in a pie somewhere in the organisation. Oh, perfect, perfect. And what about yourself, Felix? Hi, everyone. I'm Felix. I'm the founder of Sharesy, which is a startup business. We're a venue hire marketplace for community venues. So it's a bit like Airbnb, but you can hire out school halls and community centers and church halls in your local area. And we've made it really simple to do that. So we're a team of 10. So we're right down the other end of scale from over. Oh, I love that. Uh, Mark, what about yourself? Sure. So we're uh, uh, in more of an EU-based company. Um, we do HR for for iron workers. So that's anybody who doesn't have a desk. So that's your your teachers, your nurses, your waiters, all that sort of stuff. Um, we're all about helping um, them connect to each other and the business and find value together. Um, we're quite small at the moment. I think my team is. I'll make sure I get this right. My team is five altogether. Um, so we're even smaller than Felix. Um, but the business is a little larger than that. I think we're we're eight altogether as a business at the moment. So still in the startup phase, but having a lot of fun. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Graham, what about yourself? Yeah, nice to meet you all. My name's Graham Johnston. I'm the head of software engineering at NASA Box. So we are uh, um, probably describe ourselves in the scale up phase. So we're about 150 employees uh, globally. Um, we'll provide um, communication. Uh, uh, sort of web-based communications telephony platform that uh, integrates with Salesforce to provide a sort of full uh, CRM and contact center solution. Um, our engineering team, uh, my team is about uh, just over 30 people. Uh, we are split sort of uh, half in the UK, uh, based remotely, and half in uh, Romania. And yeah, we are, you know, going through the, you know, the, the usual sort of uh, trying to retain customers and, and uh, you know, get new customers as well and, and, and lots of lots of stuff and looking to scale up the size of the team as well over the next uh, six months as well. So that sounds... Oh, great stuff. Uh, last but not least, JP. Yeah, so I am the general manager and also one of the co-founders of Sport Locker. Sport Locker in its entirety is a one-stop hub for 
sports fans to come and enjoy sports highlights, uh, to watch certain live matches in a variety of different sports. With regards to our team size, uh, we started, we launched officially in November last year. We started off with a, a small team in the UK of about four people. Uh, and we've now grown to 16 people uh, and many of those working remotely. Um, and then we've also just launched a Brazilian team as well, which is now in the last two months, a team of 12. And then we also have a, a, an Iranian based team for a third arm to our business which has a, a team of 30. So we are really juggling between various different remote working teams and various different verticals uh, as well. So all exciting stuff, but as you can imagine, a lot to, to kind of balance uh, when it comes to remote workers. Yeah, of course, of course. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, obviously we've all joined here um, to discuss how, how to create like the, the ultimate dynamic, diverse development culture. Um, so obviously build like the yeah. best workplace harmony with, and everyone here has obviously come from like a different kind of industry sector and obviously there's quite clear there's a real variety in the kind of workplace, kind of workplace culture and team size as well. I mean I think what we'll start with initially is if you just want to discuss like the current challenges and stuff that you had. I mean I know Graham, um, you shared this with me a few weeks ago and earlier on this week as well. Um, with obviously the team transitioning from, was it an office based in Croydon to going fully remote? And obviously you've got employees based in Europe as well. Uh, what are the kind of challenges that you're kind of uh, um, experiencing when you're trying to create that kind of culture, which is fundamentally, I'm guessing, you only get to speak to them when it, over a meeting, or should have been? Or... Yeah, I think that is the, you know, that for me is one of the, the biggest sort of, you know, changes. Yes, we were. Or, or the organization before I, I started was, um, you know, before the pandemic was based um, in Croydon, uh, you know, a couple of floors of a, a an office building in Croydon where, you know, 100 of the 150 employees of the company uh, were based every single day. They very quickly, as we all know, moved to the entire company being remote um, and that stuck. The, the, um, you know, the directors of the company decided to, you know, it, it was working well. So they decided to move to, you know, a remote first um, sort of policy for, for the company. We are, we're not unique, but we have, um, you know, there is an interesting dynamic in that, as I said, half of the team is, is based in the UK. They're um, sort of full uh, or permanent uh, employees of Natterbox, the team based in Romania. Uh, work through um, a, a third-party company, and it's quite interesting the difference in culture. Uh, where, whereas, where in the UK we have, in my experience, we've definitely moved on the tech side to everybody really wants to be remote. Um, whereas in Romania, the the team are still, um, you know, they choose they could be remote if they wish, but they they actively choose to, you know, attend the office. You know, almost every almost every day of the week, um, and it's just a, you know, is a, a cultural difference. So, not only do we have the the challenges of people working remote, people working across different time zones, but we also have a team who spend a lot of time together, and then the other side of the team who only see each other once or twice a year. 
um, yeah, which is which is interesting. I'd be, you know, I would be keen to hear if any any other, you know, teams have got a, a sort of similar um, structure. But I think, as I said to you, Darmesh, one of the one of the things that we do miss out on is that ability to talk about things unrelated to work. Um, whenever we are, whenever we're talking now, it's all very transactional. It's always about something. There's always a topic or a subject, and you know. Um, there's always a reason for a discussion. And although as much as I'm an advocate for remote working and I would never want to go back to, you know, to the way it was before, I think that is the, you know, people talk about innovation and I'm not, I'm not so sure that we lose the innovation side. I think what we lose is the finding out and that most of uh, building relationships on a human level that you get just from, you know, general random discussions about things that don't happen when you're when you're working remotely yeah of course of course i think matt you've got a similar kind of structure at moonstar haven't you where i think funnily enough you've actually got some other some of the team based in romania as well haven't you that's true um so my the product owner in my team is based in romania um I, two of my devs are based in greece and one of them is uh, no sorry two of my devs are based in poland and one of them is in greece so uh, yeah, we've got lots of remote challenges, and I I really feel with Graham on the time zone problem as well. Every now and again, I'll get a message that says, "Should we meet up at ten thirty? And I have to kind of sit there and do some maths for a minute, try and work mm-hmm. out what that means. Um, no, it's all it's all good fun. Oh, perfect. And um, obviously, JP, I know you've got employees based worldwide as well. Are uh, these the kind of challenges and stuff that you're facing? Or yeah, I I'd, I'd definitely say with. Where where Graham is going on that was, I think everyone is enjoying the the benefits these days of remote working, but it is missing that that social interaction with people. So it's making sure that as a company, you're organizing those team building events, whether they are once, twice a year, maybe you do it each quarter, but it's, for us, it's slightly different as a, as a sports-based business, we are all fans of varying sports so although we have uh what you call transactional discussions where everything's work related we all do also have our, our whatsapp groups our fantasy games that we're playing with each other um to to keep that kind of social environment going within within the business as well and when it comes to time zones and those challenges yeah well for us it's it's even more insane because we've got say our cto is in romania in yash we've then got the rest of the dev team in portugal then we've got uh business development in south africa and we've got the team in brazil and we've got someone sitting in canada and mixing all these time zones i'm working from like 5 a.m right through till midnight past midnight sometimes to to jump on calls um so it, it is challenging but would i change it probably not for those staff that like you said graham that do uh yes and in in portugal they want to to be together they go and work within WeWorks and and whatnot um Will we ever uh, take on a company space again ourselves? Probably not. I think it was more uh, of a, a a cost than an actual need. And we see that the the team enjoys working remotely. Um, and and I think as a whole, 
the business is thriving from that and it's it allows us to not whereas when we first started it was all purely uk focused have a uk team and that was it and then having to then try and diversify opening office in another country we've we've completely scrapped that idea and it's kept things far more open and allows us to take on a lot of new members of staff in in a much more rapid environment which has helped Oh, well, interesting, interesting. I know, Felix, you're, you've tra- done it the other way, haven't you? You're transitioning from remote to office, haven't you? Is, that, is this one of the reasons why? Or It's really interesting, actually, yes, because I have a slightly different perspective on this. I've worked in corporates all my career where you're forced to come into the office five days a week, like pre-COVID, and I never used to like the lack of uh, flexibility. When I started my business right at the beginning of lockdown, we were fully remote and hired people in that fully remote environment and definitely gave you some flexibility and gave people choice about where they were working, which was great. But I felt like you started to lose the micro conversations, just being able to just turn to someone and have a chat with someone, ask them a question, have a quick huddle on a question. And when you have video calls and you talk to people, it's just so hard for people to be really engaged and engaging over a video call all day, every day on just little conversations. So it does work when you're, you know, we are now a bit of a split. So we do, we work sort of three or four days in the office, two or three days, um, you know, it kind of works out a little bit flexible. But when you're at home, yes, you can jump on a call, you can talk on Slack, you can have a quick phone call or a Slack call. But being in the office has helped the office vibe. It's helped people connect a bit more and have those relationships, um, which I've really valued. So we've actually hired people. We're, we're based in London. We hire people who are able to travel into the office. Um, but then we also still give a degree of flexibility. We don't require people to be in the office five days a week. And I wouldn't say that as we grow and we scale that we would always stick to that. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. We've just taken a new office. Um, We're actually a team of 10, but we have an office with nine desks in it. And two or three days a week, it's packed and it's really vibey and it's fun to be around everyone. And the other days, it's a little bit more mixed. Um, My dog comes into the office. We stay for drinks after work sometimes. So it's given us something slightly different. But when you start to think about, like right now, we do all of our development in-house with our tiny team. If there was a point at which we needed to build a dev team, we might say that we're actually going to do that in a different country. Then, of course, you have to think about those things in a different way. But this has worked quite well for us right now. And I'm really enjoying it, actually, having an office. We've made it feel like our own you know, and, um, you know, early days of it, but it's it's been fun. Well, perfect. I think it's all about creating that kind of really, um, really attractive kind of virtual kind of office from what I've got. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Amy? Because I know from, from you guys at Over, you've created like a really diverse workforce. Um, I know you've mentioned um, the gender diversity is pretty good, but in regards to the actual day in, day out of um, cultural awareness and stuff, how are you finding it? So I think um, just listening to everybody else speaking, Ovo's at a different end. So it's actually Ovo's 14th birthday today. So uh, happy birthday to Ovo at the date of recording. And we, so my team, I didn't say this in my introduction, so my direct team is 65, um, but the business, we support a business of 14,000 heads and that's global. Um, 
operating lots of spaces that you guys have already mentioned, Romania, South Africa, Indonesia, uh, Portugal, uh, not Brazil. So I feel like that's a tick box somewhere that we uh, we need to head towards. Um, but unsurprisingly, a, a large uh, number of our colleagues are based in the UK. We have um, two open hubs at the moment, one in Bristol, which is the head office, and one in one in London. And we're just about to open a carbon neutral office up in Glasgow, which we're all very excited about because it's been quite hard yards getting there. But I think the challenges we face um, culturally differ. Um, so like Felix, I've come from a large, a much larger corporate. This is a much smaller business for me that's trying to retain its entrepreneurial go-getting culture where people take ownership and they spur things forward and we don't get lost in bureaucracy. Um, like others have mentioned, we use tools. Uh, we lean quite a lot on asynchronous capabilities, but we do coalesce around these hubs and we have what um, our chief people officer would call moments that matter. So rather than forcing people into the office, there is no forcing. We really encourage folks to come in for team together days, for bigger OvoTech conventions or the wider wider OVO organization um, quarterly get together. So they're a bit more structured, but there's no there's no forcing. The other key bit for my team is making sure we facilitate the right technology. So there's a consistent experience. It's a, there's a level of agnosticism, no matter how you join the organization, whether that's in person and across different time zones. Um, the reason that OVO's pursued this, so I actually live in the Midlands, I can commute into London. I just happen to have picked this location on a previous role because I can get to Scotland easy and London easy and, and Bristol easy. Um, and I think that OVO historically had looked, looked at recruitment in hub locations, which was challenging around um, diversity hires, particularly if cities didn't have diversity rankings that we would we would look to pursue. But it's also meant that individuals like myself could factor in working for an organisation like OVO, that if they'd said you need to be in Bristol, actually, that's just travel travel prohib prohibitive for me. It's, it's too far. The the bit for me that I think that, that makes businesses really focused is hooking around a culture that works for you, because when you're attracting talent, that then means that talent can decide whether they want to be a person that goes into the office two or three days a week because they love those micro in interactions. That's when they absolutely fiend and are most successful versus an organization might say, we've got a remote first policy and actually that works for you as well. But tra transparency and how you've got your organization structured, no matter your size, actually, I think means that not only are you ticking a box from a capabilities piece, you're also getting the person with the mindset that you want to work together. And then we can start to look at measures around are we structured in a way that ensures that we get diversity of applications whether that's gender whether that's ethnicity whether that's economic background so you can factor all of those things but I, I think ultimately it's it's also a considered and a constant effort into those pieces as well so what's what's your targets that you're you're striving for and how do you ensure that you stick you stick to those because I think transparency for me I always appreciate it as an employee that when OVO is transparent with me and I can be transparent with my team and we can work together as a leadership team to develop that forward. And I think when we're looking at organisations that have scaled at pace, um, keeping your core principles, the core principles and not having them sidelined is super, super important. And flexible workings, agile workings, whatever tag you want to put on it, I think is a core component is a critical, not just a core, is a critical component of that. Oh, perfect. Well, so what's really worked for you guys then in regards? I know you've got a, like an open work policy there, but um, like what's worked in regards to uh, creating that culture virtually? Do you guys do anything different or anything that you'd like to share with the team that you think has really worked well in the past? 
So we absolutely lean into the tech. Um, so we use Slack. We are a Google workspace organization, which we've decided to use because it's clean. It's really good for online collaboration. We don't have issues like version control where people have saved a, a slide or a, a, you know, any sort of diagram planning anywhere and that gets lost on their, on their device. We lean into third parties to help us um, produce things very simply like mobiles or laptops, because one of the pieces for me that if you've got people working remotely and their device fails, uh, JP, you've, you're having that challenge this today, right, with your laptop. But if if that happens, you need to get people back online ASAP. And then we have a BYO policy that keeps the organization safe. Obviously, we need to consider our cyber and security and identity considerations as well as, as an organization of the size that we are. But we still need that versatility in how we provide access and that priority. So, for example, I recruited earlier in the year ahead of product for security and colleague experience, because what I wanted to ensure was that as we were looking at further maturing our security proposition around governance, identity management, privilege access management, etc., that shouldn't be in contestation to the colleague experience. So if you combine that into one role then they can't they can't be that inconsistency within that role right so it's a bit it's a bit cruel in some regards but it makes sure that you never lose that colleague experience at the center of your thinking but you come in with that security focus so that that flexibility in ovo to not conform to corporate standard role titles or corporate standard roles i think's been really really critical to the success of the business you can try different things right and fail fast it's always the it's always the the good thing about that entrepreneurial mindset yeah of course of course uh, what are your thoughts on that Graham? have you tried adopting i know you guys have done a, a thing where you don't do any meetings and stuff on a friday uh, but do you guys use like slack and these kind of google kind of yeah so similar to to ovo we are uh, fully in the, the Slack and Google um, ecosystem, um, which it does help, you know, you know. But then we end up with, you know, we've also we're also Jira and Confluence, so then we end up with stuff all over the place, to be honest. And you know, you're hunting through, uh, you know, sort of Google Drive, and you're hunting through Confluence for for the correct information, but. You know, having the having the communication via Slack, I mean, it is it really does help. I mean, we it helps and it hinders. So you know, there's the um, there's the fear of interruption, which I know a lot of the developer, you know, a lot of my team team get with you know Slack and and the fear of um, not reading a message. So you know, probably one of the you know, one of the advantages of, you know, everybody being in an office is that, you know, if you want to go and ask a question with somebody and you can see them sitting with their headphones on and, and concentrating on something, you, you maybe, you know, you'd maybe wait till a more opportune time. But yeah, certainly with, um, you know, working remotely and with tools like Slack or Teams or, or, or whatever it is, you know, those alert notifications, I know it can cause can cause some people, you know, depending on their sort of mindset, it can cause quite a lot of stress for some people. You know, for me, I'm I'm one of these people that, you know, I'm happy to have 100, you know, uh, unread messages in my Slack and 10,000 unread emails, you know. But I know that some people, they see that notification pop up and they immediately think I have to drop what I'm doing, stop the code I'm writing or whatever and go and respond to, to a notification. I think that... That is a, a downside to it. Yeah, of course. Do you think that, that having no meetings on Fridays helps to really kind of 
Um, how honest should I be here? Um, I think, uh, you know, it's something we aspire to, um, but it becomes very difficult. Um, you know, it's something we, it's something we thought we'd introduce, we would try it out. Um, but then, you know, we, we work in sort of two week sprints. If you're then going to say, you, you know, you've got a Friday with no meetings that then, you know, then cuts your time even more to when you're going to do that sprint planning, when you're going to do uh, sprint reviews and then, um, you know, when you're going to fit in sort of backlog refinement and fit in doing work as well. Um, so we try now to minimize meetings on a Friday, but we're not, we're not always successful. Oh, oh perfect. Good to know. Um, I mean, Mark, what, what are you doing differently than that? Like you think you could share with the team that's really helping build that kind of uh, workplace harmony? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think the, the approach that, that we have is, is more about what kind of things do we want to get out of conversations and then being really ruthless with the meetings that we have around what kind of, so there's, there's two sides of this, right? There's specific meetings of like this one, what do we want to get out of it? But there's also generally a meeting culture type thing of, of what kind of conversations do you want to be having in the first place? So for us in particular, we've actually found that the number of conversations we've had has gone up a lot, particularly over the past few months. Um, and that's been really valuable for us, which is really interesting because normally, you know, you want to have less conversations and less meetings. Um, but we found that by doing that, our collaboration is much higher, which means that the types of solutions that we're finding have been much richer and much simpler a lot of the time, which is always interesting. Um, so a lot of the way that we we kind of feed into conversations is about, you know, what what kind of conversations do we want to be having and then focusing around those things. So then your conversations can feel draining if you don't understand the value of it or you're not sold on why it's there or you're sat there thinking, yeah, but I could be doing that other ticket right now and why am I here, right? Um, so I think it's being making sure that everybody understands the not just understands, but empathizes with the meeting and its purpose and, and how they can get value from it just as much as be valuable by being there. And it's almost like the meeting is kind of like a product for the people who are in there because it's there to serve the people who are in the meeting. Um, and approaching your meetings like that and being quite ruthless with this one is valuable, this one is not because the people who are there don't feel like it's valuable is... Uh, is a challenge because it's hard to to take away meetings sometimes, um, but it's one that's well worth pursuing. I think it, it really comes back to what kind of culture you want to develop and then making sure that your meetings are aligned with that. It's not really a specific answer. It's quite vague, but uh, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Obviously, there's no right or wrong answer to this. Like, like we've obviously identified everyone's workplace and culture is definitely different. I mean, Felix, when, when you guys obviously working at home, what do you do anything differently as opposed to what you do in the office? I know obviously in the office you've got that face-to-face -face kind of interaction and you, you've generally got that kind of silence to chit-chat And but as opposed to when you're working um, virtually. But what, what, what do you do differently? Or I mean, one of the advantages that we have of being first of all a tiny team but also a startup is that we can set these things up from the beginning as we want them to 
uh, how, how we want them to be. And if they're not working, we can fail fast, as Amy says, and, and stop doing them and try something different. One thing that I'm really keen on is autonomy and accountability for every member of the team, no matter what level. And that means that um, they can choose when they need to have meetings. We tend to have very few fixed meetings in the diary. When we do have them, we try and keep them really short. And the way that we do that is by having really good reporting, totally transparent reporting across the whole business. Everyone can see everything. And when we're going to have a meeting, there's homework that you need to do in advance. So when you actually sit down and have the meeting, there isn't this period of time where you're explaining what you're about to talk about. Everyone's already done the bit where they've worked out why you're in the meeting. Then you sit down and you can actually have a conversation, which is the purpose of being together. You can actually talk through the purpose of the meeting. So what it enables is a bit more asynchronous working. You can do your prep and you can ask any questions and you can do all that stuff before you're in the meeting. So you're not wasting other people's time. When you actually sit down and have the meeting, then everyone's ready for it. And then you have a really short, really productive meeting. And then you come out with great actions at the end of it. Obviously, that is the dream scenario. It never quite goes that way. You end up having a chat. You end up going off on tangents and talking about different things. Um, but one nice thing that we also have is something called the parking lot. When you are in a meeting, if someone is uh, wants to raise a, a point, could be a really important thing you need to discuss. It might not be for that meeting. So don't let it drop. We want to stick it in the parking lot. We're going to come back to it. And we are going to then um, make sure that the meeting itself is really, really kept on track to the um, to the thing that you want to talk about. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think that's a really good approach. That especially I've not not really heard that before, where you do a bit of homework prior to the meeting. It's just a discussion rather than people just talking and uh, majority of the time not even listening. <laughs> well, the, the the Amazon way of working which you know seems to work really really well for them is that there's a document that's prepared everyone sits down at the beginning of a meeting and reads it together and then they talk around that uh, document and that's maybe taking it one step further because you're not wasting people's time in advance of a meeting to do prep everybody's in the meeting you all spend the same amount of time preparing the only challenge with that is that not everybody reads at the same speed. Not everybody prepares at the same speed. Some people might want to do other research as well. So we're a little bit more relaxed than that and let people prep in their own time. But by the time you get to the meeting, we want to make sure that you know why you're there and you've got the information available to you. Well, perfect, perfect. I think that parking lot idea is a great idea as well. Like a lot of the meetings, that especially what I join on, definitely go on off tangent quite a bit. Uh, so I think having that kind of designated space to identify and highlight any key topics that might be of uh, relevance in the future and setting that aside, it's a really good idea. Um, what about yourself, JP? Obviously, you've got your workforce versus worldwide, different time zones. Like, What kind of successes do you have? Yeah, well, I think I think just going back to the, the tech side of things, we do heavily focus on the utilisation of Slack. But not only that, because we are such a diverse team and different teams, whether it be development teams, whether it be commercial teams, whether it be new business, we're all working on on different uh, software, which, again, 
like we've said in this conversation, can confuse the situation at times. So we've got Google going, we've got Slack going, then there's a group on Skype, then there's a WhatsApp. And for me, that's that's something that we're trying to get a grip of at the moment because having too many open channels, having too many open discussions can confuse the situation at times, especially when it comes to new customers that we brought on. What customers is it that we're meant to be focused on? The dev team then can kind of get lost in these different conversations and all these different tangents. And then going on to the meeting side of things, as as uh, Felix was saying, we we have kind of decided that Tuesdays and Thursdays are our kind of designated days for prior week on a on a Tuesday. So coming and updating us on what's happened prior, and then what's going to be worked on the rest of the week, and then on the Thursday, it's looking ahead at the the, the next week. And again, our team are, are are needing to do some research, bring bring something to the table. I do like the the thought of the the Amazon way. However, like you said, there there are some of those slight difficulties where even myself, I I would as maybe a developer, even though we're reading through this document, if I'm if I'm kind of not on on topic and I need more time to think about what my answer would be, I might feel like I'm kind of just being shoved in off the cusp and I can't work like that. But as well as that, we do have other breakout sessions with our teams. So specific to dev, the dev team will go away and they'll have their own meeting. The commercial team will have theirs, product team will have theirs. And that way, when they come to the group discussion, everything is concise. We smash through our, we kind of target the meeting. We, we set ourselves aside an hour, but if we're all on topic and we don't go up on random tangents, we tend to be able to do these meetings within 30 minutes. If everyone is on their A game, if everyone's bought what is needed to the table, um, and then everyone can kind of leave there knowing what they're doing for the, the week um, and for the following week. And it seems to be working for us. There is always room for improvement. No, no, no business is ever perfect, I don't think. But it's, it's, it's great to identify. Um, and like Felix was saying, as a startup, you can identify where the major weaknesses are and you can tweak those. When you're in that larger corporate environment, it's far harder to change those. Uh, those ways once they're instilled in in the company culture so it's good to analyze and attack it from the beginning to figure out what we change and then uh turn them into better better meetings better performance from the team as well oh well thanks for sharing uh, jp so would you say that like the commercial products and development teams um do you think they communicate efficiently together do you think there's that kind of workplace harmony within them teams or are the oldest individual within the company. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the the main aim is to get everyone working harmoniously together. Um, I I've worked in many businesses where those teams themselves are very siloed, and it's one thing within my my company culture that I never want. I don't want departments to feel like they can't work with other other departments, or uh, there be any barriers, so to speak. So. 
from what we see at the moment, our teams are all cohesively working very well together and they're in constant communication. There are times at which there are those slight barriers, whether it be uh, communication, uh, something lacking in communication between, say, the commercial team and the development team, or maybe a difference of a, a opinion. But as long as there's justification from each of those teams as to why this should be a priority over this, and if it makes business sense, do we drop uh, maybe one task that we're doing here to then reprioritize. So they do work quite efficiently together at the moment. And we hope it continues to, to be that way as the team grows and builds. But there are always those indifferences between the, the, the departments that we're always continuously working on to make sure that, uh, yeah, that everyone can can work together and work cohesively together. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, great vision that you've got there. I mean, what are you doing? Anything in particular or anything specifically to make sure that they do, um, obviously work and align to get aligned together? I know you said um, the teams will meet up individually, then you'll all meet up together. But are you doing anything else? Yeah. Think so. For for me, we uh, and it's more on the development side, but the commercial teams and all the product teams are also very intertwined with it. So we use um, uh, a product called Git Scrum so that we can set all tasks, whether that be commercial, whether that be tech, whether that be product, all in one one place. And we make sure that everyone is utilizing that one space to be able to see cohesively what everyone needs to do to reach our ultimate end goal in in whether that's setting up a new product within that's getting a new connection live and so on and so forth. And I think that helps us. But the meetings and the meetups definitely help us the most at, at this point. Oh, perfect, perfect. And Amy, what are you guys doing at like a global kind of bigger scale there to connect like the commercial product development teams together? Um is anything different or so i probably take a bit more of a philosophical standpoint to this and perhaps this is for my sins because of my background so for me there's an intersection between your um, ways of working which is what jp has leaned into which i think is super critical and you can focus in um if you if you look at it in a, a much more acute way and then there's the operating model which the business wants to to run and they don't always align and they should cross, they should intersect. And where they intersect is in part choice, is in part demanded to by scale and is in part by um, his- history. And what I mean by that, so if I think about Ovo's acquisition of SSE Retail in 2020 was a meaningful change point in that business, whereas previous acquisitions didn't change the operating model um, and didn't really disrupt, for want of a better word, the, the way of working. So... There's a couple of ways that you can think about this when you organize global businesses or large businesses, which is you think about it in a layered sense of provision of services as a as a horizontal, which is a quite a traditional way of thinking about it. And actually, you would intersect those with verticals, which is your front to your back end of a business, whereas most businesses now sit there and go, well, how do we ensure that we keep the back end close to the front end? But you then put yourself at risk of working in those silos that JP's pulled out. And I think that that kind of matrix structure of a business, although it's not particularly fashionable at the moment, if you go and speak to big management consultancies, um, for me, it's actually been the most successful because it's what I see in smaller businesses. So when we partner with startups or um, vendors that are, are a different, a smaller scale to Ovo, for me, that 
that I call it that intersection rather than matrix, mainly to potentially bring the idea of it more up to date. But I see those as being really success, successful functioning businesses. The challenge for a, a global organization is, is always going to be scale. Where can you rinse and repeat to remove the toil that you benefit from your economy of scale without completely disrupting what you've ultimately got? And I think that's a genuine challenge, particularly when you get those moments of change. So the SSC acquisition for OVO was that moment of change. And one of the bits that we've managed to keep is the ways of working, but our operating model is something that we consistently look at because we know that it's it's not quite where we want it to be. We know that we can provide better service for our customers. We know that we can enhance our experience for our colleagues internally. We know that we can be more efficient financially. And so keep we have to continually self-challenge uh, to to make sure that we keep evolving evolving that model and be at times very clear when parts of it just aren't working at all. And you have to be quite, uh, for want of a better phrase, mercenary about those decisions at, at times. You don't want things to grow arms and legs that's detrimental to the business over time. I think that can introduce um, at best cost to a business that you don't want. At worst, it's genuine cultural and organisational rot that just kills stuff. It kills innovation. It stifles adoption of, of new new um, products and services that you could that you could bring in. I think the the piece for me on that one is that um, when there is an acquisition or a merger or, or you bring people to an organization that have different ideas and skills, you need to be you need to remain open. And, you know, what Mark talked about with people coming in and challenging the challenging the, the, the purpose of a meeting, right, is, is, you know, again, more corporate speak is psychological safety. How do you produce or create an environment that people feel safe that they can challenge something that may be in place and they not be seen as a threat. They're seen as somebody who's trying to do the best for the organization. And that's for me why an operating model is important. Putting nice boxes on a slide where is is obviously important for people to know where they report into and how they can relate to other parts of the org. But that ways of working is is super, super important as well. So how OVO's how OVO's doing that is a um iterative, very much iterative process with moments of of bigger change that we have to do as a as a larger org you can't do it in such a small way or else you're you're not necessarily addressing a, a, a challenge or a problem that may that may have emerged and so a great example of that is how we provide service desks in the business we've got multiple service desks there's clearly a benefit in having um, a better triage process in one and then you you farm out or you hub and spoke it out as appropriate but doing that is it has to be a cross business initiative. It can't be driven by just my service desk or the the customer care service desk or the ops service desk. It has to be a collaborative piece. And because we're still that um, fast paced um, organisation that wants to make decisions quickly and and learn as fast as possible, getting that time in to get people to to look around a challenge and go, how can we look at this properly from a three sixty view, is for me one of my observations of of what a challenger, a newly scaled or growth business is. How do you go from a startup to a medium-sized corporate? And what do you want to keep and where do you want to move it forward? I think getting those people together and actually keeping JP's point about that, you know, like, you know, saying to yourself, I never want to work in a business that operates different areas as a silo is a, probably a really fundamental point that you have to keep in, in mind and, and purposely force that at the front of your mind on a consistent basis is it done consistently jp's right no no business is perfect <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're a FTSE 100 or you're starting up as a sole as a sole trader right there will be 
elements that 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 always kind of cause friction but friction is never a bad thing it keeps you thinking about how can I improve how can I change and and that's very much where Rovo is on its journey at the moment oh wow very very interesting there I mean what are your thoughts on that Mark and Graham I know you guys are both head of development at your current organizations I mean um how is the connection between your development teams and the uh the, the kind of products and commercial teams and do you think you could implement or change anything in accordance to what like the team has shared here? Yeah, so I think there's um, probably three main things that I see as really key in this space. Um, I think the, the first thing for me is a shared definition of success across the company. Um, I think the fastest way to develop silos is measuring each of your departments on different objectives because you know, if I help you, then I'm going to ruin my own performance. So I'm not going to do that. Right. So I, the, the first thing you have to do is that shared definition of success, which sometimes is quite as simple as what's the point of this company, right? Because if the point of this company is to, I don't know, save people on electricity and gas charges, then that is a perfectly reasonable thing to start with as a shared objective. You can align people around that. Um, and similarly, you know, KPIs, OKRs, North Star metrics and fitness functions, they're all different forms of this. Um, so having that as a first step, I think is really key. I think once you've got that, you then, the transparency follows, right? Your why something worked, why something didn't work, uh, that sort of blameless postmortems, but not necessarily within a department, because just as often as when you pick a postmortems, turns out there's more things underneath. That happens cross department more than most people realize as well. Um, for example, sometimes when something goes wrong in, in production, um, your customer support team might have realized there's more information they could have given to your product team or vice versa. Um, so sometimes cross department, you know, blame free postmortems can really help. And sometimes it's just a good way to build trust, even if it is just one department that held that postmortem. And once you've got that, I think the the last part, and this has been the most crucial part for me, I think you really do have to have the first two in place first, is something really interesting that you can do is kind of what I've started calling internal customers. So whenever you do a piece of work, some of your employees are affected by the outcome or the output of your work, right? As managers, it's kind of a little bit simpler because the people we manage are kind of our customers in a weird way, because the decisions that you make affect how they can do their job. Um, and similarly, you know, when your product department ships a feature, that's going to affect your support teams and your sales teams. Um, so treating those other teams as customers, effectively people affected by your work, and um, really helps to drive that model because suddenly they become a key part of the process. You need to involve them. You need to help make their jobs easier. When you ship this, how do you help support be equipped to help customer here? Um, and that extends to other types of teams too, like your platform teams. You know, if you if you have a cloud team, then the cloud team's customers are your more product aligned teams. So working out how you can build those relationships in a meaningful way too. I find treating them as customers kind of brings naturally with it all of the, the collaboration types that in my experience have been really uh, successful, but that is quite, you know, your mileage may vary, right? It's not a recipe for success, but that's what's worked for me. Um, I think from from our perspective, one of the things that we have um, certainly over the last year we're really focused on is we now create. You, you may or may not have heard of this, but 
VP Mom uh, documents for all of our for the company and all of all of the sort of divisions and departments. So it sets out you know the, the vision of the company and then what the company's priorities are. Uh, you know how they're going to achieve the priorities, what the obstacles are, and how we're going to measure success. And then we set that, you know, from you know from the sort of board level, um, and then all of the divisions, um, you know, work to to define all of all of their sort of individual um, elements, and that goes all the way down to almost individual teams. So then you can, so then all the individual teams know exactly, um, you know, what they're doing and how that um, feeds into the the success of the company and and, and the vision of the company. But importantly, we all, um, you know, in the sort of leadership team, we all agree and we all sign off on, on the other, you know, other divisions and departments' um, objectives as well. So we're all bought into each other, you know, each other's objectives and, and they're all aligned. So that, you know, when when we do start to get into debates about, um, you know, should the development team be spending so much time uh, you know looking at um, you know technical debt as opposed to building new product you know then when when the the debates start to happen about where our focus should be we can then all look back to you know what was the you know what were the priorities that we set out um, and that we all agreed on and then we can you know focus on those and I think that's been um, really helpful for us to, um, you know, get a, a clear vision and, and clear priorities a, a, across the across the business. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I think that's definitely key. Having that kind of not just tunnel vision, but working as a senior manager with a team having the same kind of ambition and drive and direction to drive the teams forward. Uh, I think that's definitely key. Yeah. But have you got anything to add on that, Felix? It's a uh slightly different world for us because of our scale because we're so little and the fact that everybody just by the nature of the size of our team has visibility of what everybody else is doing the only thing i suppose i would add is that i'm very keen for my products and engineering team to have um, a really good commercial understanding so why does the product matter why every single change that they implement um matter and does it have a direct impact on our kpis is it going to impact on our bottom line everything that we do has a cost and a benefit there are opportunities and risks with everything that we do you know so you can you can implement something that can make savings for the business that actually reduces cost or it might actually be revenue generating it might be that it has an immediate impact but then actually it creates some sort of technical debt later and actually it's about having an understanding of why we're choosing to do um, each individual activity and implementation and then it comes back to autonomy and accountability to make sure that everyone knows why they're doing their you know particular activity and prioritizing in the way that they do so they can recommend their you know the next steps um, with confidence you know if you're going to implement something you want your technical team to be able to say, we should be doing this because, and they can actually have a, a business case that backs it up. Um, and that's, you know, the principle of that, I think, can scale to businesses of all sizes. It's just good practice to have that commercial understanding. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that, that we try to push is that, um, you know, everybody has the autonomy to say no and, um 
you know everybody is encouraged and and uh, you know to if you don't know why you're doing something then stop you know if you don't know why you're doing something how it uh, fits in with the, the company's vision and objectives then stop and go and find out you know but before you continue before you continue doing that thing um and i think that's one of the key things is giving people the autonomy and the, the confidence to be able to say hold on um why are we doing this is this the right thing and that's from you know juniors that have just started uh right up you know all the way through the organization well but i think like having that kind of autonomy is definitely key to success and um just to summarize there i know that was already pretty much nearly flown by hopefully we've all learned something from this something that we can really take back to our companies and either start stop or continue to implement some sort of process or kind of something that we've uh, learned from somebody else within the panel here because i definitely have i mean has anybody else got any other questions or anything that they want to briefly discuss or uh, chat about before we uh end the meeting i think the um i think the only bit i would add in and you alluded this to this earlier mark which is the why somebody goes and works for you so i think one of the bits that i've most enjoyed when i first started at ovo was that the sustainability and improving the way which we consume energy and the types of energy that we um provide our customers is something that that is a conversation you could have with anybody in the business and it's really nice to be a part of an organization that cares that much about that that mission and i think sometimes businesses can set set up missions that don't mean very much to people and i think for me you know, leveraging that care, that that investment, because there is an investment here, you know, and, and investing in different ways. You know, we've heard everybody speak, varying size organisations, but it sounds like everybody's there because they care about the product they're offering, the service that they're providing, the way that people operate, and I think that mission needs to tie into it as well. So, you know, part of what attracted me to Ovo was the opportunity to really challenge how enterprise technology is consumed sustainably. And I don't mean what's in the cloud and what we get told by the big cloud vendors. I mean, actually being able to sit there and challenge the full um, line of where something's come from, from your rare earths right up to how it's got to the front door of somebody that, that it, in the box that it's being delivered in. And I think the other bit for me, like leaning on that autonomy and saying no if you don't believe in it, is the also the opportunity to be inspired by what the mission of an organization is and leaning into those moments where you're you want to push something that perhaps other people haven't thought about so I, I've no doubt that when um Ovo was thought about you know 14 years ago somebody wasn't going to be sat there talking about green enterprise technology or sustainable enterprise technology but that's evolved as a as a mode of thought within the business that's that's got support across the board and even from non-technical teams as well and I think that's the other bit for me is that when you're thinking about hybrid ways of working and getting people brought in, regardless of your team size, though this does play into it, don't forget that actually other parts of the business are your allies as well. You're all behind that mission. So if you've got something that might have traditionally felt like it sat in tech, but it'd be super cool to get the head of sustainability involved and they sit in another part of the org, like lean into that conversation, be go out and build that relationship. Um and I think that, you know, don't be afraid to add something else different because or else we're never going to evolve how we work, what we're working on and why we're working on it. Oh, well, perfect. Yeah, thanks for that, Amy. I know, uh, yeah, there's some really good information there as well. And like I said, hopefully we've all learned something or something we can either 
uh, stop start to or continue within our current workplaces. Um, and yeah, I, I'm sure this is a topic that everyone can talk talk about for hours as well. And it's just a bit unfortunate that the time is nearly due. Um, has anybody else got anything to say or anything, any further notes that they'd like to share with us before we leave? Nope. All good. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's podcast have been Amy from Ovo Energy, Mark from Moonstar AI, Graham from Natterbox, Felix from Shersey, and JP from Sports Locker. If you're hiring for a new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you, or if anyone that you know, would like to be featured in a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Damesh Patel and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at damesh.patel at evolutionjobs.co.uk. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.